Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So there was a church that needed to be painted. And the pastor said, well, I used to be a house painter. Why don't you let me do it? And so the church figured out how much it was going to cost to buy the paint to paint the church, and they gave it to the pastor and said, okay, go ahead and do it. But the pastor had a crooked streak, and he thought he'd pull a little trick that he used to pull back when he was painting, and he, instead of buying all that paint, he got a little bit less than he needed, but he got some paint thinner to kind of cut it. Figured he'd be okay, except as he was just finishing the job, a huge rainstorm came up. And all this paint started just streaking down the side of the church. And he cries out, my God, what am I going to do? And this voice from heaven says, repaint and thin no more. <laughs> now, I hate that joke I, I, for a number of reasons. And I, I figured it's only fair after I did all these lawyer jokes, Rick, that I do, I do a, a pastor joke. But... I hate it for one just because it's too cheap with the pun and it's a groaner and all that. But the other thing is, is it, 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 it harks to a, a type of church culture where you take something that is really serious and you make light of it. And repentance is really serious. You may have noticed that our readings this morning, kind of like last week, our readings this morning are, are not in the little, God's little book of affirmations that you can get in the, in the, the tacky part of the Christian bookstore. The, the readings this morning are hard. God is saying, a scorching wind from the barren heights and the desert blows toward my people. And that's not the kind of wind that's going to winnow or cleanse. This is just the kind of wind that's going to come in and wreak havoc. It's too strong and it's coming from me, lest you mistake what is happening. I'm pronouncing my judgments against them. Your own conducts and actions have brought this upon you, God says. This is your punishment. How bitter it is. It pierces to the heart. 
Disaster follows disaster. The whole land lies in ruins. My people are fools. They don't know me. They're senseless children. They have no understanding. They're skilled in doing evil, but they don't know how to do good. The whole land's going to be ruined. Therefore, the earth will mourn and the heavens above grow dark. I've spoken. I'm not relenting. I've decided I'm not turning back. It's a plea to His people. A plea to His people to wash the evil from your heart and be saved. To no longer harbor wicked thoughts. A plea to repent. See, repent is one of those words that cuts to the heart of what it is for us to be human. Repenting is what happens when we look at the reality of our lives, when we look inside ourselves and don't like what we see. Repenting is what happens when somebody has said something to us that maybe we didn't notice, or maybe we did, but somehow managed to suppress, but now it's there and we can't not see it. And we have a choice at that point. Do we continue to suppress it? Do we continue to cram it down? Worse, do we make excuses for it, pretend that what is vicious is a virtue, or do we say yes? What's been revealed to me is true. My own conducts and actions have brought this upon me. To repent is to change your mind. To repent is to recognize you have been going in one direction and to say, I'm going to turn away from that. Paul talks about this as his story in this passage from 1 Timothy. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength He considered me faithful and appointed me to His service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor. I was a violent man. If you know any of Paul's biography, you know he was seeking to utterly crush this nascent movement of people who said that Jesus of Nazareth was and and is Israel's Messiah and that He is to be worshipped and glorified. And Paul was horrified by this idea. And so he tried to stamp out the early church to choke it in its cradle. But the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Because here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But it was for that very reason, Paul says, For the very reason that I was the worst of sinners, that God showed mercy to me in order that in me, the very worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on Him and receive eternal life. That patience is unlimited and it's extraordinary. When you look at this gospel passage, you can imagine the scene, Jesus is standing there and got the people all gathering around him, including some rather sketchy characters, tax collectors. Tax collectors were not just like your local IRS agent. Tax collectors were basically tax farmers. These are people who had a deal with the Romans where they would collect 
according to what was required, and they would have a little taste for themselves, and some of them would take even more. And because they were in league with the empire, it was really hard to object to them. Imagine instead of your local IRS agent, your local, think of your local mafia captain, and all those sinners, meaning all the people who do things that you shouldn't do in polite society or shouldn't admit you know anything about even. But they're all gathering together to hear him, and at the same time, you've got the goody-goodies looking and wagging their fingers and saying, wow, he welcomes sinners. He even eats with them. He sits down. He's willing to be seen in their presence. What kind of a what kind of a religious leader is this? And he says, hey, listen, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And the people listening are saying, no. I mean, for one, if I had a hundred sheep, I would be way too busy to be here listening to you. But no, if I had a hundred sheep and I left 99 of them in the wilderness... Well, I went to find the one that was lost. I would be the one who had lost 100 sheep instead of 99, or one. Or maybe if I got lucky, I'd find the one, but I'd lose the 99. Nobody does that. No, what Jesus is describing here, as he so often does in the parables, is not what normal people do. What he's describing is what God does. Because what God does isn't what normal people do. God extends patience. He extends grace. He extends Himself. He's willing to suffer all things, including the loss of His own dignity. Even though His people humiliate Him, He will take them back. Even though a person like Paul harmed God's beloved children, Nevertheless, God would call him to his service and use him mightily for his purposes. And this message of grace is one that is available for everyone who needs it. And we all need it. And when the psalmist says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. He says, you know, all have turned aside. They've together become corrupt. There's nobody who does good. Not even one. This passage is is one of almost a dozen that Paul quotes in his letter to the Romans in the third chapter when he is establishing in the very beginning of the letter that Gentiles who sin are really bad. And then in chapter 2, he says, and all of you Jews who are sitting there cheering me on and agreeing that Gentiles who sin are really bad, guess what? You're the same way. So Gentiles sin apart from law, you sin with the law. Either way, all of you are in the same position. We know, Paul says, that whatever the law says, it says to those under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. And that's why no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing Torah. In fact, what happens is that through that we become conscious of sin. All have failed. All have fallen short of the glory of God. 
But now, Paul says, Paul, this one-time persecutor of the church, this one-time slanderer of the Lord Jesus Christ, this man who sanctioned and commissioned murder, he says, but now, God's righteousness has been revealed apart from Torah, but it's a righteousness that Torah and the prophets testified to. And this righteousness of God's comes through Jesus' own faithfulness, and it comes to everyone who believes in Him. There's no difference. All have sinned, Jew, Gentile alike. All fall short of the glory of God. Every single person, Paul says, and Jeremiah says, and the psalmist says, every single person has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, yet they're justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, whom God presented as an atoning sacrifice through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice. See, God's forbearance, He left the sins committed beforehand unpunished in order to demonstrate now, right now, at the present time, His justice, that He might be both just and the one who justifies those who have the faith of Christ. There's some churches that have every week what's called an altar call, or maybe they'll have it less frequently, but they have that. They have a, a moment at the end of the service. Usually it's right at the end of the sermon, and while the choir is singing and the organ is playing, they say, come forward if you're ready to give your life to Christ, if you're ready to commit your life to follow Jesus, if you're ready to be one of His disciples, come forward. Some of these churches will say, come forward, we'll, we'll baptize you right now. And, and it can be a beautiful thing. One of the problems with that way of doing it, though, is that if you come forward and you give your life to Jesus and you repent and you turn, and then next week, what if you feel stirred to come forward again? Did that mean, like, it didn't take last time? You need to do it again? Well, okay, I'll go for it again. And then you go again. And then you start wondering what really happened. Well, guess what? This is the kind of church that has an altar call. Except we have it every week. We call it the Eucharist. And every week, as we choose to repent, as we choose to turn from sin and to God, we come forward to His altar to receive the assurance that we are members of our Lord Jesus Christ together by receiving His most blessed body and blood. And before we do that, we every Sunday go through this practice of confession. Pay attention to the words as you do that today. Pay attention to the words in which you will say that we confess that we have sinned against God in thought, word, and deed. Things we did, things we left undone, kind of covers all the bases. Haven't loved God with our whole heart. We haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves. And our response to recognizing that is to say that we are truly sorry and we humbly repent 
we turn from that and we turn to God. See, repentance isn't just turning away from sin and evil. Repentance is a turning away from sin and evil to our loving God who's always ready to receive us with open arms. We're here because we need that forgiveness. We need that grace. We need God to shower His mercy upon us even as we don't deserve it. And the good news is that He has, as our Ash Wednesday liturgy says, that God has given His power and commandment to His ministers to declare and pronounce to His people being penitent to the absolution and remission of their sins. He does pardon and absolve all those who truly repent and with sincere hearts believe His holy gospel. And therefore we beseech Him to grant us true repentance and His Holy Spirit that those things may please Him which we do on this day and that the rest of our life hereafter may be pure and holy so that the last we may come to His eternal joy. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.